Money FM 89.3, best of the breakfast huddle. Mind your business with the breakfast huddle only on Money FM 89.3. Money FM 89.3. Good morning. It's The Breakfast Huddle with Elliot Danker and Ryan Huang. It's time now for Mind Your Business. You know, in 2016, the US-based venture capitalist Tom Lavero published a blog post that explored how neobanks or fintechs were attacking traditional banks. It went viral. And why, if you want to know, it's because Lavoro took a screenshot of the wellsfargo.com homepage. And then he added examples of startups targeting every product that was being offered from banking, loans, investments, wealth management, insurance, payroll. And that was very scary for the traditional banks. Shortly after, an analyst firm, CB Insights, expanded on the theme and produced a bigger chart detailing the activity of hundreds of hungry fintechs. Its title, Unbundling the Bank. Yeah, six years later, there's no doubt that fintechs have changed the way that consumers spend, save and invest while in the process of grabbing market share from the traditional banks. But have the digital banks perhaps won the race? That's a question we're we're asking, and how can traditional banks still put themselves in an advantageous position in this sphere? We'll find out more right now from Yves Rossetti, who is managing partner and co-CEO of Synpulse. Good morning. How are you? Very good morning to you and belated happy Easter. Happy Thanks Easter. for having me. Happy Easter to you too. Very interesting conversation. But before we get into it, I want to understand a little bit about your company, Synpulse Group. What can you tell us about it? What's the business model like, the footprint here in Asia? Sure. Thanks for asking. So we're working with the new banks uh, these days. So we're a one-stop shop when it comes to digital and transformation projects, basically. So we help to deliver end-to-end solutions to our customers. And I understand you guys just opened an office here in Asia, in Taiwan, in fact. That's right. Taiwan and Shenzhen. So the journey is going towards North Asia um, because we believe there's a tremendous potential towards North Asia. Mm. Do you see a a demand or perhaps a supply in in talent in that part of the world? That is one of the key topics, obviously. You know, we've been sourcing from Philippines, India um, for Southeast Asia, but culturally, the topic is very huge, right? So towards cultural alignment. So North Asia has a much uh, has a great talent pool that we want to tap into. Yeah, tech in Taiwan can be quite underrated. Okay, let's talk about digital banks. <laughs> we were talking about a scary report like six years ago. And today, if you ask me, I don't even know what cash looks like sometimes. Mm. Tell us about some of the trends that you see on the digital banking, the digital payment front. Sure. So, yeah, I think the disruption is definitely real, right? We see the emergence of the new licenses being issued here in Singapore, four of them, right? But we also see it across uh, the other APAC markets. Mm. And the regulator has definitely an interest to grow the ecosystem. So there's a push towards uh, additional players in the market. And so that has shaped strategic investments and it's a boardroom topic, right? And I think, you know, key to this is actually that the financial transactions increasingly emerge actually from upstream. So the bank doesn't own anymore the client journey itself, right? The experience is dealt with somewhere else, whether it's from a travel, education, or maybe even lifestyle, right? And what, what that happens is that the last mile becomes basically the execution for the banks, and that sort of marginalizes. And, you know, because the branches uh, are no longer sort of 
where, where you go to do your banking, right? It becomes, uh, it doesn't have a face anymore. And this, I mean, you mentioned the unbundling, right? That's exactly what's going to happen more and more. Uh, open banking, the services will become much more prevalent. And banks have to ask themselves, well, is that going to be our fate becoming utilitarian? Right. I mean, this was inevitable, right? You can't really say COVID-19 was a catalyst. Yes, it accelerated it. And now the narrative is banks can no longer say, we are the only bank that you can trust. That sort of marketing is, it should be thrown out hmm. the window now. Yeah, that's certainly something that uh, will be challenged. But bear in mind also the neobanks, uh, hmm. you know, the new emergents, uh, they have challenges as well. You know, bringing a client on, according to our own research, costs a new institution up to north of $200, right? And then you not even have to guarantee that somebody puts his salary account, yeah. which is the most important thing, right? Because yeah. you have the, the biggest stickiness then on this client towards it. So the business cases are really harsh these days, yeah, on both sides, I would say. Okay. Would you consider that part of a legacy system problem? Uh, well, I mean, on the incumbent side, it's definitely, um, I would say, a cultural okay. um, uh, challenge, right? We still see that incumbents are organized functionally. And sometimes I wonder why this uh, transformation cannot happen quicker. So we have, you know, front office, distribution, middle office and back office. And there's very, let's say, little end-to-end focus and accountability in there. And um, plus, you have years of sort of the compliance sort of Damocles to say, hey, you have to stick to the process. Don't get innovative. Don't get entrepreneurial. On the other hand, you have the new kids on the block. They're completely the opposite, right? They have, they, they are agile. They run with product owners and scrum masters and their time to market is just so quick. So getting that cultural change, um, I think, is one of the, the biggest topics to address these days by incumbents. Yeah, well, it, what's even worse than a cultural change is perhaps a, a more technical or, or, or legacy system that I was referring to, like all type of computer systems, internal computer systems, application, or even a process for that matter. And those, mm. there are some banks still using that. Yeah, okay, that's right. Um, but I think computer systems and, and technology can be replaced and, and the, okay. the innovation cycles are so quickly these days. If you have the right partner, agreements, you can actually close this gap very, very quickly. But what's moreover, you know, from a cultural perspective, are the banks really ready to take that step, right? How quickly can they adopt to such renovation, let's say? And that's, for me, a top-of-the-house discussion. Right. I, I mean, I feel that this was a question that was asked, and the same point was brought up, you know, how can traditional banks, you know, quickly revamp their systems and deal with this rise of digital banking during the early days of the COVID pandemic? If you could give a report card or an assessment right now as we're trying to come out at the end of it, where are these traditional banks placed at? Yeah, I think we could maybe look at it uh, from maybe two phases. One was the initial sort of, oh, what do we do? Mm. And you have to understand many incumbents still require, let's say, also us consultants to work on site because we need to be within the firewall, right, within their systems and everything. Mm -hmm. So bringing actually the laptops home to the people, and that applies, of course, also to their in-house people like the traders and the IT folks and back office. So that was the first shock, right? And that has to that was overcome relatively quickly, I would say, within the first couple of weeks and months, right? Um, and then afterwards, I think adoption was really quick, right? And now it's the question, okay, who can emerge from such a pattern? Um, let's talk about tech entities, even the non-bank players. 
how right now, how are they making it harder for traditional banks, especially those that are, are trying so hard to join the, the so-called digital bank bandwagon? Yeah, they, that's different. <laughs> definitely an issue, right? Uh, the stigma of working for a bank, you know, and no longer uh, has you know this era of innovation and engagement and being entrepreneurial. Yeah, I, I mean, they, the big tech offer, of course, perks, and, and but but they have they have a different culture, uh, a different makeup towards their people, right? They, 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 they breed, of course, purpose and identity, and I really believe that this is a leadership function that is connected to the vision. In Simpals, we also have we building a tech house, so we have the same challenge, right, <laughs> as uh, how to attract our uh, the best talents, and it starts with you know being bold and then coming up. With, with an identity and a vision that uh, that sets you apart. So you become the disruptor. And I think that's what's required. So we see certain incumbents that actually try this very effectively, I must say. I mean, we've seen, um, you know, the first step with DPS, but we also see it with Standard Chartered. So, um, and, and others are following. Mm-hmm. So they're building basically parallel organizations just to sort of create a minimum viable product of a, of a new startup within their own banking confines, right? And, and, and that, I think that's the way to go because yes. that's how the, the, the transformation can, can only happen. I like that you bring up the point of attracting talent as well, right? Because perhaps traditional banks underestimate how innovative these tech talents want to be. They like that challenge of, of being in that startup environment. They like the challenge of being a disruptor in that sense. Yeah, absolutely. I, I have talents. They want to get paid in uh, crypto. <laughs> so how do you address that, right? Uh, <laughs> so, well, the fun fact is we had to um, tokenize the impulse over the last six months. Um, that was one of the, the innovative cycles that we wanted to adapt. And I think we're we're one of the first management consultancy firm that has a, you know, a share ownership program that's fully on the blockchain. And I think it's with these ownership tokens that you know uh, you attract uh, people in the market. Mm. Uh, we're speaking with Yves Roesti, who is managing partner and co-CEO of Synpulse right now, talking about this uh, disruption where digital banks are concerned. Uh, Yves, interesting that you talk about you know, how Synpulse yourself, you, you sort of tokenize, and that's one incentive. What other incentives do you see that you know, sort of get these tech talents on board, attract them on board? Yeah, I think it starts with a leadership and a bold vision, yeah, yeah. where you have, uh, you want to become part of uh, something big, something that you can identify yourself with, right? And I think that's the foundation of you starting to attract talents. Making digital banking more successful for a traditional bank, if traditional bank has embarked on that journey, they've caught up right now, they've got their digital banking apps and assets in play, where should they go from here? Yeah, so... Yeah, coming back a bit towards uh, the two big challenges in a, in a business case of a neo bank, but also applies for for incumbents. You know, there's the two things that is cost of acquisition and the LTV, which is the lifetime value of a client. So this this equation is brutal and needs to be done right, and it forms and shapes the basic economics of your business case. Having said, you know, the cost of acquisition being that high, I think there's a huge hurdle for neo banks come into the market. Yeah, the announcements are all there, but we have yet to see, you know how the scalability then applies to this and whether they can turn a profit. According to our own calculation, we estimate that any neobank here in Singapore 
with the run costs that they currently have, if you go really with a stripped down version, you're looking at 300,000 to half a million customers, right? And I mean, that's 10% of Singapore at the end, right? So think of that. So the scalability um, and client scalability it needs to be dealt with. And it, it becomes clear that it cannot be a Singapore play only because it's very hard. Um, vis-a-vis, of course, you know, um, the overbank population that we are. So I think it's clearly then the regional strategy that needs to come into play. And, you know, there's nice multiplications that you can do in other markets. So, you know, understanding this core equation around cost of acquisition and lifetime value of client, and then applying it into a scalability, I think that's a success recipe. Really got to think big picture there. Hmm. Eves Roesti, who is Managing Partner and Co-CEO of Sinpulse on the line with me. Really appreciate your time this morning. You take care and stay safe. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was wonderful. Take care. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.